0: Um, The title of today's message is "Reflecting the Gospel Locally and Globally," and as we think about that, I just wanted to touch on a subject that I feel that's everywhere: um, the subject of ambition. Um, In 2020, we saw ambition unfold itself in different ways, and I would categorize it um, as unholy ambition. We saw it displayed in a lot of different ways. I don't want to spend my time categorizing them all because we know them all, or at least some of them, what we see on TV. And we see the same unholy ambition continue in 2021. On January 6, 2021, we saw an example of unholy ambition with what happened at the Capitol. And most of us are fully aware of what happened there as different rioters came busting through. What we're unaware is that outside the White House, down these different streets and parks where the public media and the social media doesn't hit were tons of worshipers, tons of Christians, tons of Christians praying. And no media is highlighting this on CNN, on ABC, because, well, we know why. Okay. But there is what I want to say holy ambition and what I'll also call unholy ambition um, in the church in this season that we find ourselves in. I've seen tons of passion and tons of ambition lately in the past year and this year. Some of it, I, in a very positive way, we've seen holy ambition, creative ways to see the gospel go out in ways. We've never seen before or unprecedented ways to see the gospel go out through more video, through through YouTube, in so many ways. But I've also seen in the church an unholy ambition where misplaced passion was not, (coughs) instead of being directed to the gospel, was directed to secondary issues, non-essential issues, and preferences. And so... When God brings um, hardships and trials in our lives, basically we find our roots in our lives tested and really the fruits are reflected in our lives. And for some of us, we've found ourselves to have really good roots because what? On the outside, we see our fruits displayed relationally. We see love, we see kindness, and we gentleness. For some of us, our roots is kind of so-so. It's like, uh... Relational kind of like awkwardness, some good, some bad, a, a mixture. And for some of us, it's been very humbling. And we see like, oh, wow, my roots aren't as deep as I thought <laughs> because it's kind of rotten. And it's like, oh, wow, that, that's humbling. And it's like, well, I need to think through, you know, what what, what am I sinking my life into? Because being revealed in the time of trusting, testing and trials. The Apostle Paul was a man of both Unholy ambition and holy ambition, if you think about his life. The first part of his life, before he became Paul, he was Saul. And I would say he was bent on an unholy ambition. He hated the cross. He hated the church. He loved the law, but he loved it in the wrong way. He loved it to, to achieve his own righteousness and to make himself proud and arrogant and to lord and just have information, and to condemn others. But when Paul received the grace of God, when Paul met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, God radically changed his law, life <coughs> inside and out. And he, God revived his soul. He regenerated his soul. And he went from Saul to Paul. And he, his unholy ambition was flipped to a holy ambition. He was sold out for the gospel. He would do anything for the gospel. He would die for the gospel. And as we come to the end of the book of Romans, as we're to the second to the last chapter, we're coming to the implications of the gospel. What Really what Paul cares about the most. He talked about the the weak and the strong. And he said, hey, for the gospel to go forth, (coughs) we're going to be united around the gospel. We're going to do everything to not be a stumbling block to the weak. And so we're willing to to adjust, to modify, so that the gospel would go forth and there would be no hindrances to the gospel. And So we see Paul's heart. And also in light of that, we'll see how Paul's heart burns with a deep passion to see the gospel go deep, In our hearts, in the lives of believers, also we'll see Paul's heart for the gospel to go forth to to many places as far as it can go. And so we'll see a holy ambition. And so this morning I'm delighted to preach God's word. It's a privilege to speak God's word, to be his his messenger, to be his mouthpiece. And so I, I trust that the Spirit of God will help me to communicate God's word for our good And that God would be glorified as we look at Romans 15, 14 to 21. So that we individually and collectively would grow in having a holy ambition for his gospel. To reflect his gospel. And that the unholy aspects would further diminish in our lives. And So we're going to look at four points and they'll come at you really quickly. Point number one, a holy ambition To build an uncommon community. Point two we're going to look at is. A holy ambition to be. Priestly servants. Of the most high. Of Jesus Christ the king. Point number three is. A holy ambition to boast. About Christ alone. To boast about Christ alone. And point number four we're going to look at. A holy ambition to advance. The gospel where it's most. Needed. So. If you remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, Paul is talking about eternal life. And he's talking about the Bema Seat judgment. The fact that one day all believers will be judged at the Bema Seat. The Bema Seat is not a judgment as it relates to if you trusted Jesus Christ or not. The Bema Seat is a judgment based, <coughs> related to our faithfulness as Christians throughout our life. And so, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says this, Therefore, we also have as our ambition. Sometimes ambition is used in a negative way. We, we're too ambitious for worldly things or worldly causes. But Paul spins it, and he talks about it in a positive way, that he has this ambition, whether at home, on earth, or absent, his heart is to be pleasing to him, to Jesus Christ. And so, as we study, as we live our life, I want you always to constantly think about how we're living our life now, and what God will say when that day comes, when he judges us. Live our life now, in view of our present judgment one day, because it will come. Um, And so, With that in mind, with Paul's ambition in mind, we're going to walk now into Romans 15, 14 through 21. Point one, Paul's ambition to build an uncommon community. Look with me in Romans chapter 15, verse 14. The Apostle Paul is speaking in the first person. He says, I myself, I myself am satisfied about you. Who is he referring to? Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to my brothers. We see that in the plural, that Paul himself, no one else, only Paul is, is satisfied, he's content where the church of Rome is at, because the church of Rome is at spiritually where God has it according to his sovereign will. I don't know if I'm a little bit like Paul, probably not. But sometimes as pastors, we have expectations that our church would be like this, or like that, or like this. And I've learned over the years, like, I can have my expectation, but it does me really no good. I've learned over the years to understand my expectation is whatever God wants for His church at that time, at that current juncture. Sometimes it's tricky. Maybe some of us have been in churches that have a top-notch preacher and this guy's been preaching there for 20 or 30 years and you come to a newer church where it's still developing and you're like, well, it's not quite the same. And so your expectation is, is like this where you don't you fail to understand the church is this beginning from the get-go. And so when Paul is speaking and addressing the church of Rome, he's simply saying, I am satisfied with where exactly God has the church of Rome. Spiritually, he he is excited and content about where that's at. And he's, he's excited for this basic reason. Paul, we know, was hell bent against Christianity, he was saved by grace. He was adopted into the family of grace and faith, into God's family. And he looks at his brothers and sisters at Rome. And they, too, were adopted by God's amazing and marvelous grace. And so he looks at them and says, Hey, you are my brothers and sisters. We stand at equal standing by the sheer grace of God. And so he's happy, he's content that they've been adopted, and they share the same Heavenly Father. He's not looking at them and saying, Hey, you know you're good at this. You're not good at this. You're from this background. He's not thinking in those categories. He's thinking them as my brothers and sisters in Christ, and that what draws them together as family, as an uncommon community. They are majoring on the majoring, majoring on the majors, and coming together for the primary reason of being family, not, not a cultural family, but part of God's redeemed family. Paul goes on and he says in this verse and recognizes his role and God's role in the life of the believers at Rome. He understands that it was by God's sovereign grace, by God's sovereign initiative, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct One another. There are three marks, three characteristics that Paul wants to highlight in the life of the Roman believers, as they, as he's encouraging them to have a holy ambition to form, to build, to establish an uncommon community. And the first thing he recognizes, the first commendation, first positive highlighting of God's evidence of grace in their life is that they're full of goodness. They're full of goodness. In other words, they're known to be good. All right? They're known for their goodness. They're not known for their rudeness. They're not known for their meanness. They're not known for their harshness or even their weirdness. They're known for their goodness. And and that's a good thing because it says that the Holy Spirit, if you consider Galatians chapter 5, we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. This particular fruit of the Spirit, goodness, is. Active in an operation in the lives of the Roman church. It says this about this, this community of Roman believers. They yield themselves to the Holy Spirit to the degree that the Holy Spirit works in their lives, channels the grace of God, and that goodness is displayed in the church of Rome. So they're known to be good. And so we only know goodness through the context of relationships. All right. Um, as we relate to one another, we can see the degree of badness, I'll say, and also goodness that we share from each other. And so when God's grace is poured out in someone's life, one of the fruits is goodness. And so as we learn to walk the worthy walk in light of the gospel, one of the fruits that we display is goodness. And I want to say, when I think of Rooted Church, I see Evidences of God's grace of goodness. People care, people pray, people support um, one another. There is goodness in the life of rooted church. The second commendation that Paul makes for the Church of Rome, he says they're filled with all knowledge. They're filled with all knowledge. The Church of Rome displayed, I believe they displayed their goodness externally because they had God's knowledge Mentally, internally in their head. And it sunk down into the heart until they believed and owned the knowledge of God in the heart. And so this knowledge didn't puff them up, but the knowledge caused them to know and love God all the more to the degree they owned it in the heart that they loved others in a variety of ways. But in this particular case, Paul highlights the fact that the Church of Rome was known to be good. And so they took on the knowledge of God. They had a biblical understanding of who they are in Christ, that the fact that they are sons and daughters. And so I believe they lived out their identity in the context of the relationship with the knowledge that they had in their mind. And I believe they went through a process, and we're all in a process of renewing our minds daily. And I think that the since we're in the new year, it's always great to start a habit, even if it only lasts a week or a month. At least you have that habit. But my hope is that you develop habits for a lifetime. To wake up, to read God's Word, to pray God's Word, and seek to obey God's Word. That will go a long ways in your life in helping to transform your thinking and how you live. It's pretty straightforward. If you have right thinking... You have right believing that makes what? Right living, right attitude, right action. And guess what? We have transformed lives and a transformed community. And I, I want to say this loud and clear to, to those online and those in person. Our, our church is hurting for the lack of knowledge. And the, the Bible says in other places, without knowledge, what? People perish. And we'll see destruction. Without revelation, we'll, we'll see destruction. And when I look at a country, we are far gone from being a Christian nation. Um, we don't reflect much goodness in our nation much anymore. And I'm not even sure if the church is doing it much these days. And so we need to start all over again and re- be renewed by God's Word and prioritize our relationship with God. And st- the reason why we fight as a nation, and the reason why we fight as a church is pretty easy. Something's wrong with our thinking. Something's wrong with our heart. And something's wrong with our relationship with God. And so the way to make progress in the gospel after coming to faith is to have your mind renewed and be filled with all knowledge. The third commendation that Paul has for the Church of Rome is that they didn't just know this knowledge. It says here that they were able to instruct one another. This is huge. It didn't just say the pastor's able to instruct in this type of setting. It says the entire church owned the, (coughs) the calling and the command to exercise mutual ministry with one another. This is important. As the church grows, everyone has responsibility, whether you're old or young, new or old, whatever stage you may be in, you have a mutual responsibility to help each other to grow in Christ. Okay. Um, Believe it or not, this may sound strange, but I learn from all of you guys all the time. You guys teach me so many things. I learn servanthood from some of you guys. I learn how to... (coughs) how to speak the truth gracefully from some of you guys. Some of you guys, I learned about boldness. I I learned all types of things from you. And hopefully together, we're constantly learning more and more things about Christ from each other that we resemble Christ more and more as a community. So that's the first point, a holy ambition to build an uncommon community. This responsibility falls not just on me, but on all of us to build an uncommon community together, and that we would be quick to recognize gossiping or deeds of the flesh or venting and to turn those conversations back to Christ and back to what is wholesome. In verse 15, the next verse, Paul says this, even though he credits God 100% for where the church of Rome is at, he says this too. He says, but on some points I have written to you very boldly as a way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God. So 100% is all God where the church of Rome is at, but he knows as a human beings that we tend to forget. So he's simply reminding the church of Rome what God has done and is doing in their lives as a means to encourage them to say that God is at work. Look what God has done to and for you. He's, he's brought goodness in your life. He's transforming your life and he's forming a community that you didn't have before, but now you're blessed by. And your community, a city in what? A city of darkness. Now they're light and now they're salt in the Roman world. And so that's verse 15. Moving to the second point, Paul reminds him, <coughs> it comes from a different perspective here. He says, to have a holy ambition to be priestly servants of God, it took me a while to figure out where Paul was going with us, but I think I got it, and I, I think I can convey it to you. verse in Romans chapter fifteen, verse sixteen, Paul understands himself to be a minister. A minister. In that time, is a general Greek term to talk about someone in public office. In this case, in the New Testament, in the context of the local church, is someone that ministers in the context of the church, (coughs) as it relates to public worship or serving, (coughs) serving in, um, serving for Christ. And so he says, he's a minister of. Jesus Christ of Christ Jesus. So he defines what kind of minister he is. He's he's a minister about God's agenda, about kingdom agenda, not his own agenda. And he's a minister in this particular way. He has a, a limit and a focus for the way he's gonna minister for Jesus Christ. And he says it's to the Gentiles, specifically to the Gentiles. If you follow Paul's ministry as he traveled around um, the Mediterranean Sea, as he went on one journey, a second journey, a third journey, and a fourth journey, his initial initiative was to the Jews. He was a Jew first and had that natural affinity. But as he received and owned up to his apostolic ministry, we saw that he went from the Jews to the Gentiles. And so, he started to serve and to minister and really the bulk of his ministry was to gentiles people not like him culturally not like him in terms of the things they did in terms of eating and dressing paul went to <coughs> went beyond his own cultural background to see the gospel to go to non jews he wanted everyone to know and to hear the gospel. So Paul viewed himself in a priestly service to God. What are what, what priests? Um, if you come from a Catholic background, I would recommend this is not the picture you want in your mind. You need to kind of erase or delete that. Um, in First Peter chapter 2 verses 4 and 5, we get a different picture of what a priest is. Paul uh, Peter says here, but In the sight of God, chosen and precious, verse 5 says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual household to be, what? A royal priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul says, by virtue of redemption... And also Peter's saying this too, that we are all believers. We're all to exercise the priesthood of all believers. This is coined and reaffirmed through the Reformation. And even today, I'll reaffirm this again. We are all priesthoods. We all have an opportunity to serve the Lord and to be those who appoint those around us to God. That's simply what a priest is, one who points someone to God through their actions, through their words, through their deeds. And so Paul is basically saying, hey, I'm a minister of the gospel to the Gentiles to point all people in the known world, the Mediterranean world, to God, to extend the gospel of Jesus Christ to them, to let all know the good news. To give you a little bit of background to understand a little bit more what a priest Is like. I'm going to compare and contrast um, Old Testament priests with New Testament priests to just kind of get a little bit more flavor of what Paul is talking about here in terms of being a priest for God. In the Old Testament priesthood, (coughs) they were elected. It was a a privilege. We also, I'm not going to read all the verses because there's too many, but you'll get the idea. The second thing, priests were. Priests in the Old and New Testament experience that they had their sins cleansed. The third aspect is that they were anointed for ministry. They were prepared for service. Priests in the Old and New Testament, guess what? They sought to honor God's Word. Priests in the Old and New Testament, they, they walked with God. And then seventh, <coughs> the seventh idea here is priests in the Old Old and New Testament were messengers of God. And so, so I want you to just get this basic idea down that we are all priests in service to God. God has given us a called, privileged calling to 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 carry out. It's a sacred calling. And the last part here that he, Paul says he's made himself a minister of the gospel for specific purpose to serve the Gentiles, and you see this little two two words here, so that, there's a purpose clause here, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. When I read this the first time, I'm like, I don't understand what Paul is talking about. So that the offering of the Gentiles, and I thought, oh, what does that mean? Really, a priest is about what? offering sacrifices in the old testament they sacrifice what animals the best animals and offered to god as sacrifice that god would be pleased and so in this case paul is saying hey i had this priestly ministry i want to worship you with my life and i want to offer to god the gentiles He wants to offer the Gentiles to him. In other words, Paul is saying, hey, I want to see the gospel go forth. And I want to see Gentiles come to faith, fit for heaven, to be one day with God in glory because they have received the gospel, because they have trusted Jesus Christ, because they have received the righteousness of Jesus Christ in their life, in their spiritual bank account, and because they are forgiven. Paul wants to literally offer a multitude, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, through the course of his life of praying, witnessing, sharing the gospel. And Paul wasn't about making excuses. Whatever hardship it would take, whatever cost it involved, he was willing to endure it for the sake of the gospel. To do what? To offer multitudes before God one day as worship. I I sat and just thought about that like, And I realized this one basic idea. For Paul, every life mattered. For Paul, guess what? Every soul mattered. And that's why he understood the implication of the gospel. If it didn't go beyond the Jews to the Gentiles, what? They would never hear the gospel and would face judgment and be in a very bad place, which we also call hell. And so he was gripped by this reality. He was gripped by future judgment of his life and the reality that every person would be judged. And so he understood that souls matter. And so he did everything. He gave his entire life for the sake of the gospel. Point number three. Paul's um, holy ambition to boast about Christ alone. This is found in verse 17 and 18. This, Paul clearly is expressing and he boasts about what matters most in his life. And so he says, In Christ Jesus. In Christ alone. By serving Christ alone. By abiding in Christ alone. For God's glory alone. For G- Christ's renown alone. Paul says, In Christ alone, then I, Paul, have reason to be proud, to boast, to glory, to brag, not about what Paul has done by his own strength or ability, but everything that Christ has done in and through him to to accomplish his gospel purposes. And so he refers to this as my work for God. In verse 18, he goes on and says, For I will not venture to speak, to express what's inside his heart of anything except what Christ, his source, his strength, his means, has accomplished through me, through Paul. So Paul is extremely excited to boast what Christ has done in and through him to change his life to transform his life and to spread the gospel all over the known world at that time. We see in Colossians chapter 1 verses 28 and 29 Paul's heart and his vision for ministry. How did Christ work through Paul? He says this in Colossians chapter 1 verses 28 and 29. Paul said this Him we proclaim, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Catch this, verse 29, for this I toil and struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So Paul is basically talking about his experience of God working in and through him. Paul is no different than you and me. We're all made out of dust and dust we will return. Paul's not this superhero or has a special, you know, level of grace that was not available to us. We have the same level of grace. It's called the Holy Spirit. We have the same tool. It's called the Holy Spirit. The key is how much, that, how much do we want to yield ourselves to life? How much do we want to obey God's Word and have our mind filled? That God would so channel His grace in and through us that His gospel would go forth. I don't know what your greatest struggle or toil is in, but I want you to know that God wants to work in and through you and glorify Himself. He wants to take every one of us and to do an amazing work to display his glory. In the latter part of verse 18, Paul describes two features of his holy ambition and faithful ministry. The first feature he describes is the nature of conversion amongst the Gentiles. As Paul ministered, ministered amongst the Gentile people, his goal wasn't that they would just show up to him to listen to, to him talk. It wasn't, it wasn't his goal just to have a dinner with them. His goal was to bring the Gentiles to obedience. That they would go from disobedient to being obedient to Christ. That they would go from being unrepentant to being Repentant and having faith in Christ, not just saving faith, but living faith, that they would go from not being followers of Christ to being followers of Christ. How did he do it? What was Paul's method? He communicated the gospel by word and deed, by sharing the gospel and showing the gospel. He did so with words and with actions. Paul's life literally lived and displayed the gospel. He exercised integrity without hypocrisy. Lastly, in verse 19 in this section, how holy was Paul's ministry to the Gentile? How distinct was it? You see in verse 9 that the Holy Spirit was manifested In Paul's ministry, it says, "...by the power of the signs and wonders, and by the power of the Spirit of God." Paul's ministry wasn't done on his effort. It wasn't done on his strength. It was distinctly set apart and empowered and identified and marked by the Holy Spirit. How do we know that? Because people were saved. People were changed. People were transformed. In the early church, a lot of times we saw miracles. We saw signs and we saw wonders. People were healed in different ways. But the biggest thing I want you to see is that people came to Christ. That's the biggest miracle we see today. If you just look at your own life and how God saved you, that's a miracle. It's a huge miracle that God would regenerate your soul and make you alive. In ca- in Christ. And so. The end. To which Paul did this. Is seen in the last part of verse 19. He says so that. From Jerusalem. And all the way around. I'm going to have a hard time. Pronouncing this word. Because I was rehearsing last night. Eli. Eli. Il- 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 Wife of my youth, please help me. Illyricrum. Okay. Illyricrum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. How far was Jerusalem to Illyricrum? Anybody know? Any ideas? It's 1,400 miles. That's about, in our vocabulary, it's halfway across the country heading West, right? So I want you to know Paul didn't have what? A car, a motorcycle, or even a bicycle. All right? He didn't have Instagram. Paul was so committed that he pretty much would uh, maybe take a donkey or walk, but he, his ambition was so sold out to the gospel that he took the gospel all across the known world. I want to ask a simple question To what degree? At what length are we willing to take the gospel? I'm not even asking you to walk 1,400 miles. How about 14 blocks? Or even before that, how about 14 inches from our head to our heart? Statistically, it's really sad. Statistically, they say a typical Christian, about 80% of Christians don't share the gospel to non-believers. They just don't. It's a sad commentary. They just don't. They go, I've been a Christian for 10 years, 20 years. And they go, I never share. Maybe once or twice a year, I invite people to Easter and Christmas, if that. But most don't share the gospel. I, I, I'm not sure why. Either they are severely disobedient or they don't know the gospel or they're ashamed of the gospel. There's a lot of reasons. But I want to remind you of this one basic idea. If you have experience being adopted by God's grace into his family, and you've seen how much God changed you, would you not want that for someone else to be adopted into God's family and to change your life? What, to what ends would you want to see that go forth? I mean, I'm blown away, you know, we're watching TV how badly some people want a vaccine, they're leaving Canada, coming down, going down to Florida for a vaccine to what distance they have gone so much more, How much more should we be trying to push the gospel out at all cost? So we see Paul's end game, his conclusion in the last two verses, point four. His holy ambition to advance the gospel where needed most. Paul wanted to advance the gospel. We see that in verse 20. He says, I make it my ambition, and I'll qualify it a holy ambition to preach the gospel where Christ, <coughs> excuse me, to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named lest I build on someone else's foundation. Where did Paul want to take the gospel? Where the gospel hadn't gone before. It's that straight, straightforward. So he took the gospel everywhere where it hadn't been preached. And so Paul, for Paul, he knew souls matter because they would end up in one of two places, either in the smoking section or the non-smoking section of eternity. And so he was committed to see the gospel go forth. Okay? A little footnote. He didn't want to preach on someone else's foundation, but I also wanted just to remind you that there are different roles um, in first, I believe second Corinthians First Corinthians chapter three verse six, we see that Paul planted, and then later on, Apollos actually watered. So Paul, Apollos's ministry was on. Paul's foundation. There's nothing wrong with building on another person's foundation. I mean, you think of many churches, it's always someone that succeeds another church. But for Paul particularly, he had a unique calling to take the gospel where no one had gone before. For all of us, we have different roles. Some of us will do this. We'll look at the different pockets of lostness in this area. We'll think about all our neighbors and coworkers, and we want the gospel to go to them because they had not heard of it. Some of us have a role of edification, and we want to encourage people and disciple people. And so, as you see Paul's focus and implication of the gospel, I want to ask you some a series of questions. Do you sense what Paul is getting at? Do you hear what Paul is getting at? Do you care to embrace what Paul is getting at? Do you care to radically embrace what Paul is getting at. I understand that we live in the Bible Belt, and maybe about a third of the people in this area go to a church. I want you to know in those churches, and in our church, not everyone is a believer. A lot of people play church, but they're not Christians, and there's still the other two-thirds who don't go to church and who are not Christians. Don't come to a point where I think, oh, where does the Bible Everyone's saved. That's not true. We need to unmask them and help them to see who they are. And they still are in need of a Savior to rescue them from eternal condemnation. In verse 21, we see a prophecy fulfilled. A prophecy fulfilled from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 15. Paul says, Here, for it is written, Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have ne- never heard will understand. There are many, there are many who have never heard, and there are many who don't understand. And we have a unique role, a unique privilege to extend the gospel from where we are in our local place of where we live, where we work, where we play, where we hang out to our neighborhood, to our communities, to the cities and towns and beyond. I want you to know our world is messed up because the gospel has lost its influence and the Christians are, I'll say, pretty much straight up disobedient in so many ways. And we need to repent of that and not, and not be ashamed of God to start speaking. Or else our, our country will get worse and at, at the end, and our world will be worse and they will live this life and they'll eat, drink, and be merry, and they'll find themselves in a major surprise one day when they think they're on the narrow road, and they'll find themselves really walking through the broad road, and they'll walk through the doorway, and they'll look back, thinking they walked into heaven. They'll turn around, and they'll find out they walked through the gates of hell instead of the gates of heaven. But you have an opportunity, brothers and sisters, to play a redemptive role, to. Participate, participate in gospel mission. And the hope is this, that they will see. That they will see with the eyes of Christ. Their eyes would be open. That though their minds be, may, might be darkened, that they would understand. That they would go from being spiritually dead to be what? Be made spiritually alive in Christ. That those that were lost would be, tell me, found. And those who are broken will be restored or redeemed. And so we labor and so we, we strive and we pray and we long toward this end to see the gospel go where it's most needed. And for some of us, it may begin with ourselves. It may be most needed for ourselves to give our life to Jesus right now and stop playing this game to say, Jesus, I am a fool. I'm running this reckless race. I want to stop and turn and give my life to you by faith. And some of us, it may begin with us in this way. I need to start saying, I need to stop saying, I know about Christ to the point that I'm living for Christ. I'm obeying Christ. I'm following Christ. You can't say, I'm knowing about making disciples. I'm knowing about evangelism. It doesn't work that way. You actually have to evangelize. You actually have to what? Make disciples. And so at Rooted Church, we are committed to making disciples. We want to make disciples who make disciples, who declare and tell of the glories of what Christ did on the cross. So I want to review and summarize Four points. A holy ambition to build an uncommon community. Point number one. Point number two, that we would all function as priests serving our God. Pointing everyone, one another and everyone around us to God, the Redeemer. And as God works, when things happen, if the Lord blesses according to His will, that we give all praise, glory, and honor to Him. Because he alone is going to do the saving and transforming at his perfect time. Point number four, make it our holy ambition to advance the gospel where it's needed. And if it needs to begin with us, may it begin there. Paul said in, in 2 Timothy chapter 12, there's no 2 Timothy chapter 12, what am I talking about? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Paul concludes the book of 1 Timothy in this way. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called. <coughs> this is one verse I've read over and over in my life. And I want to remind us that we are called to fight the good fight of faith. We are not called to fight one another. We are called to fight the good fight of faith. And I believe that our world is into some kind of trance and we may be asleep. And we're so, cons- I know that's because we're so consumed by the temporal world. We're so worried about ourselves. We're so worried about preserving this life that we do a lot of things to preserve this life. And we haven't been gripped by eternal life. Take hold of this call. Understand the realities of eternal life. Live life in view of eternity. Live life. Understand that everyone has a soul that will end up in one place or another. Church, we need to wake up and stop fighting over secondary and non-essential issues. We need to wake up from the spell that's been cast over us. We need to open our eyes by God's grace and focus on what's most important. I know that there are many hurting and there are many su- suffering in this season. And guess what? We have an opportunity to give what? Compassion. We can offer prayer, love, encouragement and grace so much more might we be this beacon of hope might we reflect god's glory and i'll end with one question what is your what is your what is your what is your ambition what is your ambition might god be glorified in you May God be glorified in your family. May God be glorified in this church. May God be glorified in the cities of RTP. May God be glorified in our country. May God be glorified in this world. But may it begin with us. May it begin now by what? Getting a grip of eternity. We are so caught up in this world. The spells of materialism and meism, and Taoism and Confucianism and what's onlineism, nowism, all kind of isms. What am I going to eat next? Ism. All right. May the word of God take place and rest in your minds and hearts this morning. Let's pray. Father, I do pray. Lord, that we would live the gospel and preach the gospel to ourselves daily. That apart from grace, I am nothing. Apart from grace, I'd be headed to hell. But because of grace, my eyes have been opened. Because of grace, I have been found. Because of grace, I have been adopted into the best family of all. Because of grace. I am now part of what? A chosen race. (laughs) That is so good to know, and so good to function my life and our lives to collectively at. Help us to be an uncommon community. Help us to take the gospel where it needs to go. Help us to give God the glory along the way in every way, and help us to take the gospel to where it's most needed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, church, I want to say I love you. Hopefully, you don't feel like a nail that was pounded into the ground. <laughs> Hopefully, you feel like God's truth is all in your mind and is saturating. And I hope that it would cause you to love Jesus more, to love one another more, and love the city that God has placed you in all the more. we church on church online. I love you, too. Thanks for joining in. Tell us hi. Let us know how we can pray for you. Let us know if your kids have gotten five coins and are tracking along. We'd love to visit you and drop off a gift to you. And Rooted Church, be rooted in the gospel to reflect God's glory. You are sent. Go greet one another and be blessed.